0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by pilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode number 42. Sun and Fun is coming, Rick's 100th video, a primer on winter flying, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now, here are your co hosts Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to
1: this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 42. Welcome back. I'm your host, Len Costin. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation maestros. Our first maestro, Carl Valeri, actually isn't uh, here with us today. He's currently going through an airline, uh, airline training cycle at the moment and was not able to find any reliable internet. Can you believe this? You can't get good internet at the, at the schoolhouse. But uh, I have found us a guest co-host to replace our Italian, uh, Carl, who, as we know, likes to talk with his hands. And our guest co-host is a gentleman who likes to talk with a drink in his hands. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, welcome, guest co-host, uh, the inventor of the AvPad iPad kneeboard, my friend Michael Ladd. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing great, Len. So uh, uh, my next aviation maestro
2: is uh, Mr. Sean Moody. How are you, Sean? Hey, Len, doing great, doing great. Uh, It's a little bit chilly here in Kentucky today after we almost hit 70 yesterday, but uh, it's January, so I guess what more can you expect?
1: We went from thunderstorms on one day to a blizzard on the next day. That's what I had up here in Chicagoland anyway. I don't know how it was for the rest of you guys, but I've had a huge swing in weather been an interesting week uh but anyway hey did you get any fan mail anybody's any stalkers from your you know your first uh, air, airing of our uh, replacement co-host not
2: yet not yet I, I i got a few you know what's what's interesting is i i am getting more followers than anything else from europe and i'm not sure why but i'm glad to have them and, yeah. and hello to those guys not yeah. sure why but glad to see them
1: well welcome everybody from europe uh and my uh <laughs> My last aviation maestro, Mr. Rick Felty, joining us today. How are you, Rick?
3: I'm doing great. Glad to be here. New England uh, got warm and really windy. And I, I know that's going to change soon. We'll be back b- below freezing soon. But we went you know, about five days with nothing above freezing. Then it got to be 60. And really howling winds last night. And now it's going to calm down again. So pretty well, you, pretty interesting weather.
1: You were lucky you had five <coughs> days. I only had uh, about a day and a half of warm weather. I saw
3: that. Some people from that I follow from Chicago were... Talking about that online, how quickly it turned. Yeah, very so, quickly. Yeah.
1: I got up yesterday, and I wasn't going to take a coat with me when I went into the city because it had been, you know, 60 degrees the last day and a half. And I walked outside, and it was 30 degrees, and it was snowing. And I was like, holy crap, I better get my coat. <laughs> but it did change fast. Yeah. It Crazy. certainly
0: changed fast. Let's do the pre-flight.
1: Well, excellent. We'll get the uh, get the show on the road here. i got a, uh, two quick announcements before we do get started. Sun and Fun, uh, as everybody knows, is coming up here April 9th to April 14th. That's Tuesday through Sunday. And uh, myself and possibly Mr. Uh, Mister Valeri will be in attendance. I just got accepted as a volunteer for the uh, Sun and Fun Radio. So I should be there. I don't have the exact dates when I'm going to be there. It may be during the week or it may be over the weekend. I really won't know until uh, until we get closer and I'm able to work on my schedule, and my flying schedule. But uh, I'll definitely be down there for a few days, uh, you know, running around, doing interviews. Uh, I believe we may have another opportunity to be doing a live show on Sun and Fun Radio at some part uh, part during the week. I know that uh, there's supposed to be uh, a social media meetup, uh, I think, on Thursday evening. Don't quote me on all these dates because, you know, th- things are all subject to change. But as you know, as we get closer to the event, we'll uh, we'll be sharing with you all the things that are going to be going on and keep you up to loop there. If you want to come by the radio station and say hello and sit down with us and have, you know, a water or beer or whatever's going on. So, uh, you know, we'll let you know as uh, time gets closer. So Sun and Fun, April 9th, April 14th. And uh, I look forward to meeting some whoever's down there. It's it's a great opportunity to sit around and pal around and, and, uh, you know, hang out with your friends, especially. So, um, Rick, you had an announcement, which is actually kind of a milestone for you.
3: Yeah, I just, I, uh, posted a video, uh, yesterday as we record this that, um, that I just posted and didn't think much of it. And I got a bunch of comments from people saying, Hey, congratulations, that's your 100th video. And I had no idea. So I, I was kind of excited. It's like, wow, I've, that's a lot.
2: <laughs> so that's, a that's,
3: that's on the YouTube channel, uh, which is RD Felty on YouTube. And, uh, it was another another pattern video with a fairly firm landing, but but otherwise a beautiful afternoon video <laughs> flying around the Norwood. So anyway, Thanks. so yeah, check it out.
1: Awesome! Congratulations on yeah, that. Yeah, congrats. Yes. Let's
3: keep going. I gotta fly more. <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> other thing. Yes, you
1: thing. do. I know. Well, that's oh, we talked about this on the last show, 2013 yeah. flying resolutions. One of them, uh, you know, yours was yes. to get a little bit more airtime time. Exactly. Uh, this year, so that should be great. Yeah. Now entering cruise flight. Speaking of airtime, we, uh, we're we going to spend, I think, probably the majority of the show today talking uh, kind of about winter flying. You know, we may be a little late to the show considering this is, uh, uh, you know, um, mid-February that, that the show is airing, but uh, like to, like Carl and I did about maybe, gosh, it might have been two years ago, kind of a winter flying refresher, and uh, Rick has actually was going through doing some reading over the last couple of days and came up with, yeah. you know, he, he found a really cool article that sort of prompted this inner discussion. We're like, you know what, let's have another winter flying discussion. So Rick, tell us, uh, you know, lead the show, take us away, sir. Yeah.
3: Well, basically, you know, I was just, uh, I was looking in you know, there looking for information on winter flying and, and there's a great, I'll just reference this now. this great plane and pilot article from October of, uh, 20 of 2011. So not that old, you know, current enough for, for this subject. Um, and it was uh, called 20 Things You Can Do to Stay Safe and Have Fun and, uh, in the Winter, in Flying in the Winter, and uh, Winter Flying Tips. And, you know, I think some of these overlap a lot. I think they probably ran it up to 20 by, by breaking out some, some, some topics that could have overlapped a lot. But there were a few in here that that were just great reminders, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's probably a good point. I probably should do that. And so that's what caused, caused us to think maybe, you know, it'd be fun to talk about this. Um, and, I, you know, I guess I'm not sure... What the best way to structure the conversation um would be but i mean i will just start by saying that the first one though it may seem obvious um i don't i don't do this myself enough when i'm flying in the winter which is which is just you know makes perfect sense dress for the environment you'll be flying mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. um you know if you just assume there's a chance you're going to be down on the ground below where you're flying and what you know what would you be glad you have either right next to you as, as you're having to land or on you Um, and, you know, in terms of warmth and all that other stuff. And, you know, there's times where you dress for the pre-flight and then you hop in and take that coat off and and maybe you stow it somewhere you wouldn't be able to get to or maybe you didn't even bother with too much layering because you knew you were going to get done and, you know, get up in the air. I mean, the the one time I flew probably appropriately dressed, as I thought about it, was when I knew the heater was out. (laughs) You know, so it was all about that comfort thing, not about thinking it through. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that, but I, I thought that was just you know, great reminder, just always dress for what you're flying over.
1: I have maybe two. Uh, the one was during flight training, I did a lot of primary flight training up in the Midwest in North Dakota, and they wouldn't even allow us to, uh, to access the ramp and get out to the aircraft unless we had with us our winter coat, our hat, gloves, and boots. And it was an actual requirement and they would not let you go, you know, out to the aircraft for obvious reasons. If you, uh, If you go down in a, in a field out in North Dakota, there's, there's, you know, it's very few and far between as far as, uh, civilization, if you will. So that was one thing. And then in some of the, just a quick recap of some of the flying I did, the winter flying I did in Alaska, we were also similarly dressed in the aircraft. Um, and in addition to that, had all the survival gear and all the other stuff that, uh, been mentioned on previous episodes for my Alaska flying, but those, um. It's a little cumbersome, too, because I was wearing, um, especially in the Super Cub, I had these bunny boots. It's something that they have up in Alaska, and they're just ridiculously warm boots. And they were, it's kind of like, it was like walking around with clown shoes. So you're trying to, you know, operate the rudder in the (laughs) aircraft like that. Honestly, yeah, its it's, they're just massive. They're so darn big. So we're trying to operate the rudder in the aircraft, operate the pedals, and it's just very cumbersome. So I don't know about uh, Mike, what about yourself?
4: Um, well, I myself, I try not to do a whole lot of wet weather uh, flying during the winter. I'm actually originally from South Florida, so uh, I kind of like flying in warm weather. <laughs> sure. um, I mean, having to get out and pre-flight the airplane with you know gloves and bundled up and everything else. Although here in Tennessee, it's not as bad. Uh, it's actually fairly mild here, so right now it is a little chilly. But, um, you know, it does drop down, and when I first did my uh, flight training at uh, – Hickson Airfield or Hickson uh, Aviation uh, up in Chattanooga. That was when I started my flight training. Was right there during and uh, in, in, well, right after Christmas. So it, we most of my flight training went through the first few months of of winter, and there were plenty of afternoons and early mornings that it was pretty cold out there. But you know, just to get the to get your ticket, we we stuck through it. But
1: well, I can vouch for that because I, I had a 6.30 a.m. flight block in January, uh, January through May in North Dakota. So it was dark and it was windy and I was pre-flighting in the middle of the night and it was oh, it was, it was oh, brutal. That yes. uh, sounds miserable. <laughs> and, yeah, I tell exactly. you what, we were flying Piper, right? And uh, I kid you not, guys, the aircraft would be finally comfortable enough to take your coat off. By the time you landed to go, <laughs> you, by the time you landed when you finished your flight lesson, that's not even an exaggeration. I, I mean, believe it would it. take that long just to get enough comfort in there. And I was, it was, you know, flying with your gloves on, too, and you're just like, oh, this is so, it's just so, it is very, cum- it can be cumbersome. But like Rick was saying, you know, you never know uh, if something happens, if you're, just, if you're out there by yourself in, in the wilderness, you know, all the things, all these things are an advantage, um, you know, to to help you survive a little bit longer, hopefully. So, yeah. Um. What, go ahead. Yeah, what, what do we got next, Rick?
3: Well, I mean, there's a couple here that group together. Um, <clears throat> if you don't have, you know, if you're not, if you're in the north and it's winter and you're not in the hangar, and, and even if you are in certain cases, but if, you, if the, you know, the plane's not in a warm position or place, you know, preheating the engine. And that's pretty obvious to to most people, but, you know, that's a pretty much an essential thing just for the sake of the engine, for the, you know, for mm-hmm. for, for the health of the uh, material, you know, the, the machine itself. Um, they all, they also talked about having an engine cover. So those two kind of go together, um, especially if, you know, you're just going to park it for a few hours sort of later. It's it's nice to have that. Um, and uh, they recommend wing covers and things, <clears throat> again, about temperatures affecting the, 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 the frame. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about preheating, um, but it's, you know, it makes sense to me. And I actually had a, um, a message from somebody, I think through, um, yeah, on Facebook, Facebook. or Twitter,
1: we had a couple of, I yeah. think it was actually mostly as two or three questions sort of revolving around preheat. Uh, yeah.
3: One of them what, I know was, um, what, uh, and you know, do, and I don't have a recommendation, so I'm not sure we have an answer for this, but you know, are there any portable preheaters you would recommend? And I do. Okay. So you, you know, that's great. That's what, that's one of them.
1: I looked up, portable. There's the one we used in Alaska, and I'll get to it in a moment, but the mo- the uh, there's some out there that are electric, and they're probably the size of, um, you know, maybe a, a, a vacuum cleaner. There's also one that's a little bit bigger with an actual full-size propane tank, like from your gas grill. The most portable one that I ever saw that I've ever used is the very one that we had in Alaska, the Northern Companion. Um, engine preheater and it's basically just a very small section of stovepipe and you can use a uh, camping, it's a camping stove and you just use, you know, the little half a liter uh, camping fuel bottle and you light the camping stove and it goes up this little stovepipe and some ducting right into the engine cowling. Now, another gentleman asked us, you know, sort of how to do a preheat and what we did on those flights there was uh, we we let the preheat run until basically the cylinders were warm to the touch. Uh, not so hot that you would burn yourself touching it, but, you know, kind of like a, a lukewarm type of feeling, and then that's when we decided, okay, the preheat, you know. And, and some days it took upwards of an hour uh, in those temperatures up there to do that. So that's my recommendation because that's the smallest one that I know. It fits in a very small nylon zip bag. Uh, gosh, it might have been... It might have been a foot long, uh, so it's it's this and it's the smallest that I know. So that's my recommendation: mm-hmm. uh, Northern Companion um, Engine Preheater.
4: How but, much does something like that cost? You said. Uh,
1: I tell you the truth, I don't recall the price on it. If somebody wants to look it up uh, real quickly, we can get I can get back to you on the price, but or maybe I can find it real quick. Northern Companion. We, so, we had
3: a we had a situation, and this is something you should you know if you're in a northern climate and you're going to learn or 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 rent. Beyond you know, beyond your training is, you know, find out how they do that. So, um, I happen to have flown a plane for a long time that had an arrangement with the um, the FBO to have it done, which was great. I could just call up, and and that was part of the of the gig. But some other yeah, planes I rented, yeah, some other planes I rented. It was well. There's one available, so you know you're out there doing it yourself, and and you know it's fair enough as long as you know just know what you're getting into, especially if you're going to overlap the winter months, and if you're the if you have to book the morning, you know if you're the first one, that's going to be up was to, there so go ahead.
1: Was there a charge for that? Uh, no, I've never pre. I've never. I guess it's been so long since I've rented. I, I just think, don't remember. Having, I
3: I bet I you remember. the one that where the FBO did it there was, but it was eaten up. You know, into the. I didn't have to pay it. So they probably had it on a, you know, on a ticket yeah. and, and the other one, no, cause they owned it, you know, the, the, the flight school sort of owned yeah. it and you could drag it out. It, that was, you know, you can imagine which was the nicer setup. The, the FBO, the airport one is, was like a truck, you know, like a fuel truck. Right. It was right. huge. And the, um, the, uh, the, the other one was like on a, you know, like a golf cart kind of thing. And, you know, yeah but but effective and it did, did the trick. I also, and do you have a price on that? I don't want yeah to it
1: was, to uh, it's about it's on aircraft spruce. it's about 635 dollars actually, yeah, which, which yeah. isn't necessarily the cheapest, but like I said, it's the smallest, the most portable, and that's probably what you're ultimately paying for is the the portability. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what a normal preheater costs some of those ones that are on a cart that we we're talking about. Uh, but this one definitely is portable, uh, unlike some of the electric ones.
4: Yeah. Yeah, those big ones are kind of hard to take with you. Exactly. Destination. Yeah.
1: And this, uh, in fact, I wonder if it, it says it's six pounds. And six, six pounds, six ounces is, is the weight of the entire setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. So it's very light. Approximately 20,000 BTUs. Um, it will run on – this is great – we actually had to do this. It ran. It'll. You can put in the fuel canister. You can put 100 low lead. Um, you can use auto gas, white gas, kerosene, diesel, or jet fuel. It doesn't matter what you put in there, as long as you know, as long as you can, uh, as long as it's uh, any sort of fuel. So if you happen to, this is and this is what I was saying. We ran out of camping stove fuel. So we sumped, you know, a couple of ounces of uh, Avgas out of the wing and poured it in there and used that instead. So it, was, it worked, you know, it's, you do what you got to do out in the field.
3: Yeah, def- definitely. Um, the, the um, you know, the wing cover things just, I've ha- had that on a plane and then not had it. And, uh, you know, I lost a I lost a flying morning when I didn't have time to yeah. wait for the sun to gradually help because we're not going to, you know, the plane was one of those, it was a composite and we weren't to scrape it. So we had to sort of naturally turn the plane, let the sun do the work, but with covers, you know, take them off and most of your job is done, you know, so that's, that's a nice thing to have. And the same thing about this, there's a note here the fifth one is a winterization kit, which, um, I guess, um, you know, basically if it's provided, basically are messages, if, if there's something provided by the, you know, by the, um, manufacturer great be careful doing your own thing um you know to say block the airflow and the cowling and other, other stuff because um that would not be cool <laughs> so that's i don't know if the, there's not much the, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about winterization kits but uh, i don't know much about that um let's see where was other than that's number five other than to uh you know look you know if it's your plane or if you're renting find out what you know what things you can do to affect you know to adjust things seasonally um, yeah
1: you know usually what i've ever seen is mostly just uh a plate plug a plate uh yeah plates or plugs just to yeah. kind of restrict the airflow so that you're not getting all that cold air how about uh mike what are you probably like, again yeah, well, mike mike i forgot mike doesn't fly in the winter much yeah. not not that i'm teasing you but I, I suppose you maybe you just don't know
4: no well not as much about the winterization kits i know we do have a uh the flying club i'm the Moccasin flying club here in chattanooga we have an lsa and in our hanger for it, we do have a small heater that we've we've used, um, had to use on it. Uh, we also, you know, one of the things, you know, I know some other people recommend is actually going over along along the lines of doing preheats is actually reviewing, you know, all the procedures in the POH, uh, making sure you're using the right oil for the wintertime for cold weather, like a lighter grade oil. And making sure mm-hmm. that you have all your, um, you know, some aircraft don't respond very well to uh Uh, too cold weather at all.
3: Yeah. This next one, I'll move on to the next one, which I think is, I I just thought this was great. (laughs) Number six, are you night current? And that's speaking specifically to the shortness of the days. And if you get in a situation where you, you know, are with someone traveling and, and uh, you weren't night current and, and you lost daylight, you know, it's just a thing to think through in that narrow window of hours where the sun's up Um, just changes things and you need to be ready for that just in case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was great, especially, you know, long cross countries or whatever. Um, and get that done make sure you're okay as an option. Cause otherwise, you know, obviously we've talked about this several times on the show before it's, it's number of options in situations, giving yourselves, um, outs and, and being, you know, overly prepared. And that's one, just sort of, am I night current? And then, um. The, the, the similarly, number seven is just lights, you know, if you just in case it the, as the day gets later, you know, are all the lights on the airplane, you know, working batteries and flashlights, all that stuff. Um, and then the That's other thing, a good one. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because you just it's about that sort of thinking about the, the daylight hours and forgetting that you, you might get caught. Um, and uh, um, basically, and it, be ready to have a flashlight for another reason, which is number eight. Winter lighting just isn't going to be as good at the fringe times mm-hmm. as it as the rest of the season. So you may be doing a pre flight and you may want to have a flashlight, so that by the time you're up and running and ready to go and the sun's up, you're fine. But but in that early period, you're going to want you're going to want something to illuminate everything. Um, so that was kind of I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that, but it was a good eye opener. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Going back, especially to number six, talking about uh, being night current. I did my instrument rating pretty much primarily. You know after work in the winter time so you know almost all my simulated instrument was wearing foggles in the dark to where you know there's no such thing as to, you can't even see the horizon anyway and it you know it's 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 great i guess to to be able to do that for your instrument training you know do it at night to where you can't see the horizon and, and that kind of thing but it is something you know if you're used to being you know just a daytime vfr guy and like you said, launching off onto a, what you think is going to be a, a short cross country and you forget about that whole uh, getting dark earlier thing, it could be a really bad situation.
1: For sure. sure. Sean, Did your in, instructor cruel? I mean, you put the foggles <laughs> on in the, in the dark. <laughs>
2: I always want to make sure we had our boxes checked. <laughs> I understand. Well, actually, that's funny
4: because that's actually you. usually when I do my night currency is usually in the winter time, just for that reason. Because yeah. I can go out right. and work at 5 o'clock and it's already dark. That's, yeah, that's the
3: beauty sure. of the short days right there. Yeah,
4: it, yeah. It's awful in the summer to get current because you have to wait till you know, 9 o'clock.
3: Right. Yeah. And if you're in training, try to time those, you know, the night the night cross countries for winter. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The, the number nine is, is just b- obvious, but interesting, you know, not surprising. Um, we probably need to take more care in the winter to pre-flight. And because it's cold, we, we don't always, we, we rush it, especially if we're outside. So um, just be dressed warm enough to, to take your time on the pre-flighting and don't, you know, don't try to rush through it just because it's cold. And that's why a lot of people <laughs> I think don't fly in the winter is just, is the pre-flight. But But it can be great flying. You just got to get through that, and you should try to be as comfortable as you can while you're doing it.
1: It usually is really great flying because, you know, with the the temperatures and the the airs, you know, can be a lot more stable, and the temperatures, uh, depending on, you know, it can get too cold. But in the the cooler temperatures, you get a lot more better aircraft performance. Oh, yeah. In the winter, is definitely…
3: You're up, you know, uh, you're, you're up really quick. (laughs) absolutely it's so cool it's like wow the
4: skies are clear it's great to look down especially just before christmas time looking at all the christmas lights that's a neat flight i love doing every year
3: yeah definitely uh they talk number 10 they talk about wheel fairings just be aware that um that the wheels have issues on on slush covered ground and other things that you know the fairings can can pack with stuff um and they also mention you know when you're uh, consider if you have a retractable don't retract the wheels as early and let them let them spin out and dry a bit before you tuck them in and uh you know i don't i've never flown a uh, that kind of plane but it makes perfect sense but you know you may not think about it
1: i didn't think about this one it was interesting when i was reading it because i never thought about the wheel pants uh, side of it and how it's it's definitely very easy for slush to get in there and freeze and we had you know just from pushing the super cub in and out of the uh, in and out of the hangar in alaska but one day we got there and there was just a, an ice ball on the tail wheel so we had to go out uh, I think we went to like Walgreens and we bought like, you know, a $20 space heater and an extension cord and plugged it in. And it took like two hours to get this stupid tailwheel thawed out. But that was something we had access to. If you can imagine if all that slush and stuff was jammed up inside the wheel pant, um, you, you know, that's I mean, yeah. that's a pretty much a no go item if you're not going to be able to, you know, move around.
3: Yeah. A number of the a number of the challenging moments on Flying Wild Alaska were about freezing gear, you know, yeah. f- for that very reason.
1: And, you know, there's a, there's actually another thing uh, about slush, and I'm not sure uh, so much in a general aviation aircraft. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. I'll tell you what, I have learned uh, through the airline world, and this is if we're taxiing out on a snowy or slush-covered runway. Excuse me, not runway, taxiway. Uh, they actually advise us to delay putting out our our flaps. We use flaps for takeoff, so they they advise. Uh, delaying the flap extension until uh, you know essentially as late as possible because when you're driving through all this wet slushy snowy junk you know it's coming off the tires it's slinging up on the undercarriage from the undercarriage onto the underside of the wing and the aircraft fuselage and in our aircraft, You know, if it gets in there and freezes, and we can't retract the flaps or other things, and I was just thinking that wouldn't necessarily apply to GA, but that's not true because if you're in a Piper or something low wing, that's another consideration. You know, if you want, if you're out there taxiing around in slush, you just want to. I guess you want to go, you know, a little bit slower. I I've not flown in those kinds of, taxied in those kinds of conditions in a GA aircraft, so I don't want anybody to really take this you know, as hard set advice, but maybe just a consideration to check with your CFI, you know, ask them if I'm taxiing out in the slushy conditions, (laughs) do I need to worry about the, you know, extending, waiting to extend the flaps for takeoff uh, if you, if you do that in your aircraft, or do I need to be concerned about the buildup at all affecting the airflow? Um, and see, and see what your CFI says.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, that makes sense. I mean, I know in the Cirrus, that's what it, it, right, is, yeah cuz you use takeoff there, yeah you do one notch and, and and you probably throw those in at the whole short line and there may be slush between there and the takeoff and mm-hmm. that's an interesting point and that's cool I hadn't thought of that
1: yeah and I, I i don't know Has anybody ever really flown their ga aircraft you guys who get to fly ga more than i do in you know landed or taxied in snowy or slushy conditions on the ground as far as the the you know the the pavement and the ground surfaces
2: not really on my end, no. I mean, when I was doing most of my training uh, in the Cincinnati area, they did a great job of of clearing the taxiways and the runway. Um, so, no, I mean, you know, I've taxied where there's snow piled up on the sides, but but never actually, you know, taking the tires through it.
4: Yeah, and I haven't either here in Chattanooga. We don't. It doesn't get that cold for yeah. snow to yeah. last more than a day.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, again, equally well plowed or you know, not not heavy slush for sure
1: they do their best where I go, but sometimes I'm driving around on, I'm literally driving around on slip and slide and I'm just like, okay, well, this is, you know, it is what it is. So (laughs) it was just my two cents on uh, a different aspect of slush.
3: Cool. Um, They talk, you know, in the list, they talk about um, making sure that there's a carbon monoxide detector and that it's, you know, current and, you know, and functioning because, you know, we use uh, cabin heat more and, you know, if there's anything sneaking its way from the engine into the, into the cabin it will happen more there and you know so it's just a it's a it's a problem always to be careful of but i think it's just accentuated a bit in the winter i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that one but just makes sense to to do that all the time mm-hmm. i think
2: mm-hmm. absolutely i mean those little stickers you can get cost next to nothing uh right you know make sure that things up there it's not expired yeah totally
1: right or just colored because sometimes you know right. even just through age or other elemental exposure they can they can go bad before their expiration date so mm-hmm. and like like sean said they're so cheap it's probably the cheapest you know insurance you can get while flying
3: yeah um you know and uh they touch on another just um make sure that you you know look at your exhaust system for that same reason Let's see if there's cracks see if there's any you know reason that some fumes are going to get where they shouldn't get um then there's a bunch here in a row that we can just probably all lump together and talk about which is survival gear and um you know, obviously in all cases, you should be thinking about what, what might I need? You know, if you're going to travel over water, you probably need, you know, it's recommended that you have a certain set of things just in case uh, for that contingency. And, and in the winter, um, you know, it's, it's, it's warm things and there's, there's a list here and I could, I could read through it, but, and one of the things is make sure you can get to it, <laughs> but, um. That's so always I, a big thing. Yeah, because because there can be space sounds, in back. It but.
1: sounds funny, but it's an actual. You know, you never think about that. Like, oh, great, right. I got this bag in the back, and then right. something happens, and you're incapacitated, or you're pinned or trapped, and you can't reach it. And it's yeah, it's a whole different story.
4: Right. I always have something right in front of me, or right uh, next to me, or a small bag behind me that has an extra jacket, a small flashlight, and a granola, you know, like granola bars or something yeah. like that.
1: No, that's that's really smart. My friend who has the aircraft always wears, it's almost like a fly fisherman's vest, and he's got everything he needs in the pockets, like if, as far as immediate things, um, like his PLB and his spot messenger and a couple of other just, you know, quick immediate action items. That, and he wears this vest all the time uh, when he's flying the plane up there. And that it, just, a, you know, that, that was to me was like, Holy crap! Exactly like you said, Rick. I just don't think of you do think of those kinds of smart, quick action items.
3: Right, and 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 you know, if you go to any of these, um, if you go to Oshkosh or Son of Fun or or uh, even the AOPA summit, there 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 are often presentations about this, and they're fascinating to watch because you haven't thought through everything you think you should. You know, yeah. Um, and, I mean, I went to one, at, I think, at the last AOPA, and it just it was very interesting. You know, to, in terms of things like have it nearby. You know, I think it was specifically this one was about water, but. Um, and they, you know, they touch on PLBs like you just did, and, and you know, spot trackers and things like that. They recommend doing yeah. that, and that that technology continues to advance. And uh, basically, the message there is: don't assume you're going to be somewhere where your cell phone is going to work. I right.
4: love PLBs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I think the I think there's merit for both the PLB, which is the personal uh, locator beacon, and uh, and the spot. But there are some limitations of spot if you're you know on higher latitudes. Uh, as I've been told by folks who own both and operate both, that you know you may get coverage with the spot in one area, and if you don't, then your backup is the PLB. Uh, and of course, if you can reach the ELT, you can you can activate that as well. Uh, just a you know a quick note. Uh, I don't have because somebody did ask right in and ask about survival gear, and and I think it was Sam, and and he didn't necessarily ask specifically what to have in one. But the, in the episode we did with John Ponce, we talked a lot about how Alaska has specific regulations, you know, pertinent to flying. One of them is a specific amount of survival gear, everything from rations uh, for each occupant t- to sustain life for one week. Okay, rations of food for, to sustain life for one week per each occupant. That's, that's all year round an axe, first aid kit, uh, an assortment of uh, fishing gear, knife, fire starter. For the winter stuff, they tell you you have to have a pair of snowshoes, a sleeping bag, one wall blanket, um, and stuff like that. So those are, you know, those are kinds of uh, maybe just a couple of quick ideas of what might be smart to take with you. And you might be thinking, you know, well, then, guys, all together, if, if I'm carrying all this survival gear, maybe you know, how am I supposed to fly this airplane with, uh, you know, three or four of my buddies, and, you know, that could actually change winter operations. And I'm just thinking of this as we're on the fly here. Winter operations could completely change your operating structure as far as you might not be able to take your three or four friends like you normally do because, you know, you're flying a little bit, um, I guess, maybe more cautiously with this extra equipment in the event that something happens. So that's something that I hadn't thought of. But as I was, you know, talking about survival gear, it occurred to me it's extra weight. Which means less payload, or less passengers, or less fuel. So those are some other considerations.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, th- th- I will say that will, we can put a link to this. Um, the um, they reference in this article a website called Equipped.com. Right, it's equipped to survive. Uh, but and and that that there's a that's a starting point, and there are many probably sites like that where you can go and and start to put together what you think would be appropriate for your, you know, for your mission.
1: And I happen to think, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but after flying uh, way out there in the middle of nowhere, I happen to think that it's just a smart idea in general to have. And it sounds like, Mike, you've got at least some immediate action items with you. But I never thought about having even just the most basic survival gear, even down here in the lower 48. It sort of evaded my thoughts thinking, well, I'm down here. It's not like flying in the middle of nowhere, Alaska or up in, you know up in Timbuktu but you could still be in a place with potentially no cell phone range or some you know something else and and you might need some gear so I'm not, I'm a very strong firm believer of just some limited survival gear at any time of the year in the aircraft.
4: Well I had that even when I was in Florida when I flew down there and flew over the Everglades I was a little nervous about flying directly over the Everglades for this, for that reason. You
1: don't yeah. want to be gator bait.
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <need> <laughs>
2: some serious self-defense in the Everglades. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's...
1: He, keeps, he keeps a shotgun in the plane <laughs> for the gator. <laughs> Just don't take
4: the beers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> as long as we have our priorities. <laughs> right. uh, um, cool. Another one here. That's sort of interesting that you might, you know, obviously we always check tire pressure or we, we loosely do, you know, we look at it, we kick it or we squeeze it or whatever we do. But, um, the, their point in this is, especially if you are going in, you know, out f- from warm a warm hanger, say, out, and it's close, marginal anyway, and you haven't checked it closely, and then it contracts because things get colder, then you're in a position where it could slip on the rims, all sorts of stuff could happen to it. So um take it seriously, <laughs> Uh, you know, as seriously as you ever do, but realize that there will be vari- variations in that, and, um, you know, be aware that you want to, you know, keep it where it needs to be. Like I don't know I if you guys... Re- re- I
1: read in one article uh, about the tires that allegedly you lose one pound of air, one psi per every ten degrees of temperature change. Um, oh. That's what this one article uh, was was mentioning. And you know, I do the same thing in my car. Though you know, you'll notice in the transition from summer to winter that you, your tires are low, and you have to you have to um, pump them up again. Yeah. So same thing in the airplane and. I sure as heck don't want you know tires bursting in my airplane. In the car, it's a little different. In the airplane, you know, it can get uh, it can get interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's a. I thought there was some subtle stuff in there that was pretty cool about the tires. Yeah. Um, a battery. You know, the, their point here besides just making sure your battery is in good shape and and holding a charge, all that, and and then do things to maintain that, like potentially a trickle charger, if you're not going to be flying it a lot in the winter. Um, is that when a battery goes, it's just going to go, you know, especially if it's in the winter and it's marginal, and you know it'll be fine for 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 your startup and your takeoff, and you'll get somewhere, and then it won't be fine. Um, so it's it's important because of what the cold does to batteries. So it's it's more kind of more critical in the winter. I don't know if you guys have ever had battery trouble, but I have not. But it it's a you know obviously a problem.
4: The first flight I ever took, we had a complete electrical failure in the plane.
2: Wow.
3: Oh wow. Okay. Tell us but, a little more. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and <laughs> it, was fi- so, it was all fine. It was all fine and so then cold. we went home.
4: Yeah. That was basically it. Um, it he's was like, basi- it was
1: my first flight. I didn't know.
4: It was my first it, it's exactly how it was. I really didn't understand how <laughs> critical it really was. The nice. instructor, uh, who's still a good friend of mine, Ben Pendergrass, who flies out of one alpha zero as an instructor. Um, he took me up on my intro flight and that was uh <laughs> We' were about halfway up we we're you know it was about a forty five minute flight out to the practice area and we started hearing clipping on the radio and couldn't figure out you know why we weren't hearing the full transmissions and next thing you know pretty much everything had gone out and then the low voltage light comes on. <laughs> I think it should be a no voltage light is basically <laughs> what happened um, but he didn't he wasn't overly concerned um so I wasn't you know if mm-hmm. he started screaming and and grabbed the hold of the glare shield and left fingerprints in it yeah then I would have been nervous but um it was fine the plane's gonna fly the engine's running right um and nothing major happened it's an uncontrolled airport there's an or non-towered airport Ah. Uh, so I mean it's a little 3,000 foot runway with trees on both sides but Mm -hmm. um we just went back after you know we did a few maneuvers and and we went back and landed but that was it but i didn't really fully understand until later on in my training how serious that really could have been right but the fact that my instructor was calm enough and professional enough and um that he didn't freak out i didn't find the need that <laughs> I needed to freak out yeah you
3: didn't
2: so, know have you ever had any electrical issues no no i i thought i might have one time when i was a student pilot i was uh... coming back in and uh... this was it was a towered airport and um i could uh... I had flown to a nearby airport to do some, uh, some takeoffs and landings and was on my way back and I switched to the other radio and um, I, kept, uh, I kept calling, uh, I, was, I guess I had already established radio communication so I was in the airspace and um, I started calling him up, uh, I guess going from approach to tower and um, could not get a response, could not get a response. Um, for whatever reason it didn't occur to me to go back to the other radio. And uh, it didn't occur to me to adjust any of the volume knobs on the uh, on the radio, so I'm sitting there going, "Oh no, I don't remember light gun signals. I'm in trouble." <laughs> and uh, I, it maybe went on for a minute and a half, two minutes, and then it occurred to me to turn the volume knob up, and uh-huh. sure enough, there was Tower. You know, thinking I was a moron, but uh, hey, yeah, it all worked out. That's that's <laughs> uh, knock on wood, the only thing that I've had happen <laughs> so far. In my
4: well, real quick along those lines, I did have a small issue where a tower thought we were morons. We were actually doing night flying at we went from one alpha zero to CHA on the way back, trying to click the lights. Um what five times to turn the lights on at the at our airport. Um we're still talking with Chattanooga Tower because it's only ten miles away. And we keep clicking the mic to turn the tower on. And finally the, the controller comes back and says, are you trying to turn the lights on at our airport or your airport? <laughs> 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 so we both just looked at each other and went, crap, sorry. <laughs> Changed the radios. Click, click, click. Ta-da, there's lights. Nice.
3: <laughs> good story. Good stories. I love stuff like that. I mean, I don't love that it happened, but it's funny. Yeah. Oh, it's um, good to laugh about later. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, well, more, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the list, and we'll, then we should open it up to anything, you know, you guys' experiences we, we've all had. But um, uh, engine oil, basically, you know, end of summer, they're recommending a good time to change oil, um, you know, to, to remove contaminants, to clean that stuff out, and moisture from the engine and all that, and start the winter uh, with fresh oil, um, and um, potentially change, you know, the type of oil if you're if you're, you know, airplane- if if that's correct for your airplane, uh, to a multi viscosity oil in the winter, and um, you know it, that's just sort of a a time they're recommending to winterize. I don't know Len, if you have any thoughts on that, but that just seems to. be... Yeah, I mean, a, a if, good if, even
1: if you don't do it, then there, there's yeah. there's other times. But yeah, that's you know that's part of that's part of the process, depending on. If you're a renter, uh, you're not necessarily right. going to go gonna through do that. Yeah. Uh, these these kinds of things. But as an aircraft owner, you know you've got uh, you probably have your own winter checklist if you live in those areas when you have stuff to do, uh, change things. But yeah, yeah.
3: Um, I, this here's you know so here's another one. This next one that um, that was just like oh, huh, hadn't thought of that. Which they just say between the first hard frost and the onset of the you know really cold weather, take the opportunity to clean your windshield and windows. And just, and it makes sense, you know, because it's you can't do it, right? Or it's harder to do or whatever. Um, clean it now while you can, while things are warm enough. Right. And I have, that's great. <laughs> Cause I have, uh, go ahead. No, that's all they, the, that gets annoying, that buildup, if you can't get it off.
1: So. I have a two part story for that one. And that's uh, a dirty windscreen that resulted from and you had actually talked about this earlier Rick you know positioning the aircraft in the uh, in the sunlight to melt the frost off yeah when i was flight instructing i you know i had these early morning students and there'd be frost all over the aircraft and it wasn't warm enough you know it wasn't the sun wasn't melting it quick enough i had mornings where i would have to de-ice a cessna with de-icing fluid and what i didn't know at the time uh, about the fluid w- was essentially, you know, it's its consistency, it's viscosity, it's very much uh, kind of like syrup. So we spray the aircraft down, I spray down the wings and the tail and the fuselage and get in the airplane and we start it up and we taxi out and, you know, we add full thrust for takeoff, we start rolling down the runway. And as the airflow began to increase over the aircraft, the, uh, you know the de-icing fluid started to it started to shed but not at a rate fast enough and this is the, the this is the truth not at a rate fast enough that I could see out the windscreen when it came time for landing so we just kind of orbited around the air uh, the airport about six or seven times <laughs> wow. just to get enough you know enough forward visibility to come back in and do a landing and ever since then every time I de-iced the airplane I was like okay First and foremost, we gotta we gotta get a cloth out. We gotta wipe this junk off the windscreen because it's really like syrup. Right. So that's like the first part of it, and and the second part because if you do ever encounter uh, this experience um, for GA pilots, the deicing fluid that you would be using is referred to as type one deicing fluid. Now, type one deicing fluid is meant only to remove frozen contaminants off the aircraft. It is not a... Uh, it, it doesn't have a significant hold over time, meaning it does not have a significant lifespan to remove contaminants off the aircraft and then protect the surface if you were taxiing out for takeoff in snow or other freezing precipitation. So it's something that you use to get the junk off the airplane, but if you're for some reason able to or going flying and it's snowing, you will then need to apply a second type of de-icing fluid, and that is type 4. or type. There's type 3 and type 4. The one we use at work is type 4 because it's the longest lasting, and that's what I refer to as a holdover time. That means how long this fluid is going to protect the aircraft. Because if you're in light snow, uh, you know, it's going to protect the aircraft longer than if you're in a blizzard or heavy snow conditions. Uh, and, and as the snowfall intensity increases, the fluid can only it can only protect you for so long. So that's one thing you want to take into consideration. Type 1 is for removing contaminants primarily, and Type 4, 3, or 4 is for protecting the aircraft for any ongoing precipitation. Uh, and it does have a specific lifespan. You have to ask the FBO or whoever is using the, uh, you know, whoever is the, the the fluid applicator, what is the holdover time on this? And if they tell you it's 30 minutes to an hour and 15, go at the most conservative route. Don't think that it's going to last you any more than 30 minutes, you know. So that was something that I never did uh, until I was instructing. I never de-iced an airplane, and those were my two experiences. I, you know, I had to learn about that, and now knowing what we do, in the airline world, you know, just to give you guys a little heads up between the type one and and what its purpose is, and, you know, hopefully you're just going to go out there and clean the aircraft off. I don't know that I want to be out in a GA airplane taking off in snow or blizzard, but, you know, to each their own, but uh, just a couple of things about de-icing fluid for you.
3: Wow. That's good. I, yeah, it's good. I did not know about that. Um, and uh the you know the big uh, final thing is just is sort of weather which is sort of obvious but it's different weather considerations than summer or than other seasons so um you know focus on the things that matter in winter and be you know be ready for those and obviously it's it's icing it's winds um it's gusts which um and, you know and uh and think and think about the st- sort of strategically about your 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 mission your route and uh things like time shortest of days the overall picture of what <clears throat> the environment is potentially going to be like um and and then that's their last uh, the last item um uh, they, they they bring up the line the the if you have the they say it's the winter mantra but if you have time to spare go by air uh, be ready to you know potentially wait somewhere or mm-hmm. spend the night somewhere mm-hmm
4: yeah, especially the power of those storms that become very, very powerful in the wintertime also. I mean, you just we just saw that just recently with that storm that came through with the tornadoes and everything through, uh, you know, Alabama and uh, Georgia, Tennessee areas, North Carolina. Has any,
1: any of you guys ever flown uh, through snow? Not, not you know, necessarily taken off intentionally, but encountered snow aloft or flown through snow. I'm sure we've all, you know, gotten a little bit of icing or frost before aloft. uh, but how about, uh, you know, how about flying through snow? Anybody have an experience there?
4: I have not yet.
2: No, I'd, I kind of like to. It. It'd be a, an interesting view, I would think, of everything mm-hmm. flying past you. And I guess this is, you know, I, I've I've got my instrument rain, but I haven't flown instruments in a while. But they, what my instructors told me at the time was uh, the snow doesn't tend to ice you up, I guess. Correct. It, it doesn't really stick, yeah.
1: Yeah, depending. Uh, and that was why, because I did say a few minutes ago, you know, if you want to take off in snow, that's your business. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, actually flying through snow uh, because I've hit a squall line in a Warrior before and that's exactly was my experience. It was not adhering to the aircraft. So Mm -hmm. we were, and of course we were on an IFR flight plan, but you know, we weren't, we were watching it and we were waiting to see if something was going to happen, if we needed to deviate course or altitude or divert or anything for, you know, because of in-flight icing. But our experience that day was, you know, it was not that. It was dry enough that it was not sticking the aircraft and it was not affecting us and that can sometimes happen. Um, but there's all kinds, you know, there's, 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 a, I gotta be honest with you. I think that's probably between in-flight fires. I think in-flight icing is the second thing that scares me. Mm-hmm.
2: For sure. I mean, there, I, I listened to a, uh cockpit recording one time of a guy who, uh, I think he was flying an aero commander and I can't remember where, but, um, I've never heard, he ended up okay, but I've never heard panic like that in mm-hmm. a, uh, in a pilot's voice is when he was, you know, he, he'd be, I guess he was running the verge of stall speed and, you know, he'd, he'd call in, okay, I'm out of control. I just lost 6,000 feet. I mean, I can't even imagine being wow. in that, uh, in that cockpit at the time. Yeah.
3: Crazy. So anyway, I don't know. If, so that's the general cover. That's what I got out of this article, you know, great article again by, um, uh, plane and pilot. Um, and you know, it's just, it's all basic sort of, some of it's obvious. Some of it now is going <laughs> to be more obvious to me to think about, um, and I don't know if there's any other things you guys want to add to that discussion, um, but it's pretty cool. Pretty interesting stuff.
1: Sean or Mike, anything you want to tack on?
0: No, I no, no, don't winning. think
4: so. No, I don't either right now. Our picks of the week.
1: I I think what we'll do then is move over to the picks of the week because the, I actually picked some uh, this, this time around that are a Pretty much representative or an association of what we're talking about with winter flying. So we'll just jump cool. into picks of the week at this point, and I'll uh, you know I'll I throw mine in to wrap up the uh, the winter flying sort of winter flying discussion that we're having. The first one was and still is actually a video that Carl and I did. I th- and this is what I was trying to think. I think maybe it's been about two. Two years ago now, uh, we sat down and we put together a presentation that's out on YouTube and we'll include the, the link in the show notes. But if you just Google the practical, gl- uh, practical guide to winter flying, uh, you'll find our video on YouTube where we sat down and kind of disseminated some of the stuff that we've learned through airline flying. And uh, to, to sort of break it down to a general aviation pilot level that's a little bit more understandable and some of the things just from our own experiences that we wanted to share with you guys, that's that's one resource and, uh, that I, was, I wanted to share. There's also uh, a second one, which is the AOPA Cold Weather Webinar. And they go through a sort of a similar uh, class from start to finish, if you will, teaching a lot of the stuff kind of going over a lot of the stuff that we've talked about that we derived from this article today uh, that Rick found. But there's also, you know, there's all kinds of more uh, other information in there. And the third piece of this Pick of the Week is, uh, it comes off of the AOPA cold weather webinar, but it's a cold weather operations checklist. And they basically have it set for you to print out, and you cut it cut along the dotted lines, and it should fit nice and neatly in your kneeboard, and it talks a lot about, in fact, I have it pulled up right here, but it talks about a lot of things. It goes from on the ground being prepared, dressing warmly, being prepared to survive uh, a forced landing, getting the airplane ready, pre-flighting carefully, uh, taking pity on your engine. You know, one thing we actually didn't necessarily talk about, Rick, about the engine preheat, but, uh, and this is funny, and don't take this as science because there's a lot of information on the internet not saying that it's wrong but one article that i read about preheating says that preheating in the winter time could you know or not preheating is the equivalent of adding 500 hours of cruise time wear and tear on your engine now yeah. i don't know if it's quite that wow. serious but plain and simple you know it's a, it's okay to get in your car and start the engine and drive away in 2 minutes in the dead of the winter but you got to remember this this airplane is keeping you aloft. You're you're no longer on the ground. You're no longer in the safety of the ground. So you want to treat that engine with with respect. If you want it to treat you back with respect. So yeah, uh, it goes on to other you know. Take care when taxing. Oh, here's one we didn't even mention, and I never even thought of it. Watch your wing clearance on snow mounds.
3: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: that is actually important. You do not mm. want to hit the snow. Some you know, if you people who live in cold weather states, if you. Uh, back your car into a snowbank in the wintertime, you know, it's, it can be as hard as concrete. So be very careful. And it goes well, on, you know, other yeah, stuff. You know, even
3: up here in the, you know, w- when you're listening to, uh, you know, the weather, the tower, it, they re- in Norwood and I'm sure everywhere, they reference the height of the snowbanks. Right. So you're aware of that. It's part of the, right. it's part of their pitch for part of the year, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, we never even touched on breaking action or any of the other things that go into, you know, into flying and weather conditions. Uh, Maybe we could talk about that on another show. But and the checklist goes on. It's got stuff that, you know, considerations for in the air, like uh, icing is deadly and unpredictable. Don't ever another one. Don't overestimate the capabilities of your aircraft. Know your limitations. And be realistic about your escape routes. So, again, all these three items uh, we will provide in the show notes for you to have a look at. And you know, I, I think this is a nice uh, checklist provided by the AOPA Air Safety Foundation, It's called Cold Weather Ops. And you can print it off, throw it in, uh, you know, throw it in your kneeboard, throw it in your flight bag. It's just another reference to have with you. So, cool. well, those are my what uh, three picks of the week there. Cool. Um, but uh, Sean, tell us about your pick of the week.
2: Yeah, mine is called the, uh, Kentucky Institute for Aerospace Education. Um, and there's something I, I just, I wish they'd had something like this when I was in high school, but they're a network of high schools around Kentucky and they, uh, what they're trying to do is use aviation to kind of boost their, uh, their STEM classes. Um, and they, at, at, uh, one of the, the high schools over in Frankfurt, they're, uh, they're building a couple of airplanes. Um, if I understand correctly, they actually built one and, uh, Went to Oshkosh with it back in, uh, I think that was 2011. Um, so it's it's neat. You know, we we all know about the declining, you know, younger end of the pilot population, and it's uh, it's neat to see a, an organization like this kind of get the kids while they're in school, make it part of their curriculum, and and sort of instill those values in them. Very cool. Um, but if you go to uh, right now, they're they're looking for funding to get a new hangar off the ground. Um, if you go to KIAE.org, you can find out about that. And I just think it's a really neat program.
3: Wonderful. Uh, let's see who's
1: next? who's next? Rick, Rick, tell us about sure. your pick of the week.
3: Sure. I don't have three. I have two and, and they are somewhat <laughs> related. Cause one I think is, is cool, but not all that functional. And so I thought it was not fair to not just do that long, one. So. <laughs> okay. So the, I'll do the first one first though. It's called, it's an iOS, uh, App. It's called WindScape, and it's a little like what we talked about a bunch of shows ago. That website that uh, has a visualization of, of the current winds across the whole country, and you can zoom in, and there's lots of data. That you can find out. You know, it's basically an aggregate of all the current weather data in a visual form. It's beautiful. Um, this is is beautiful as well. Um, it is uh, color, and it's the entire world um, with current wind patterns that are affecting the flow all around the world. Um, and it's laid out horizontally, and it's beautiful, and there's little dots that are representing the wind. Um, the the so that it's very cool, it's beautiful, and and uh, it it might be just a good thing to have up on your desk, you know, running like that, and it's interesting that way. Um, the the up the other upside is it's only ninety nine cents. The downside is that that's there's a good reason it's only ninety nine cents because it really doesn't do much other than that. Uh, there isn't a lot of detail. You can't dig in and say what's the wind speed right there or what's tell me more about this or let me you know just let me get more data behind the data um i know that it's they've got it they're making that visualization happen and i bet they improve that um but anyway it's quite pretty it's 99 cents it's called windscape and uh you should check that out it's an ipad ios uh, both you know a uh, phone both um so that's that's that one windscape and 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 I thought of that probably because we did have some pretty intense winds up here that came out of that same system that was in Georgia that sort of you know swept up the coast. Um, and in hearing about some of that coverage, I happened to see Jim Cantori from The Weather Channel tweeting about an app that he uses. Um, and this is the opposite of of the last app I talked about. This is also an iOS app, but the opposite meaning it's really just densely packed with with stuff. Um, but it's specifically radar. um, And it is called Radar Scope. Um, I believe there's also a Mac app for the desktop. um, And there is an Android app as well. Um, And this is, so he's recommending this as like the no brainer, amazing amount of information. Um, And so, you know, that that part's good if he's using it, but it's also the, the thing to be warned about is it's, it's very weather geek it's very detailed mm-hmm. um and so i don't even at this point know which screen to select to show me what i want to see because i don't know what which level of reflectivity i want to see for the mesocyclones echo hook or whatever um so it's it's really cool it's really dense and it is it is 150 different next doppler radars that you can call up at any point you, in, given what you do, Len, this actually might be a cool thing for you to have. Um, but so on the other hand, this one is $10, dollars nine ninety nine. dollars um, And we were talking earlier about the pricing of uh, apps and how we've gotten so used mm-hmm. to 99 cents is, yeah, whatever. And $10 is, well, I better think about that one. And uh, But this is pretty neat, especially if you're really into weather and uh, want to look closely at uh, uh, the current uh, radar. And it isn't smooth. It is that same level of jagged detail, you know, that you see when when the real data is showing up on tv or wherever so Mm -hmm. anyway that's called radar scope so those are my two weather ones and then i i have another one that i'm going to save for next time because there was this ripple effect of (laughs) discovering apps and i have another one that'll be a good conversation (laughs) on episode what will that be 42 43 this is two
4: and and uh
1: mike tell us about your pick of the week
4: mine is uh i only have one um but it's a ios app also called aviation weight and balance calculator it's actually aviation w ampersand B calculator um obviously on the itunes store it is really nice because you can go through your uh your poh um for your airplane get out your you know specific uh, uh weight uh information and actually put everything in here um but you can actually see the graphical envelope the graphical representation that is on like in your poh that you would see um, and as you uh, load the aircraft with passengers baggage multiple compartments whatever you can actually see how you're moving up and down and back and forth across that that envelope for your weight and balance um, and just changing somebody from the front seat to the back seat or a bag from you know the way back to the middle back or whatever Um, how it affects everything, Um, how much weight you would need to, or excuse me, fuel to take out to be under gross and things like that. Um, They have a number of templates already um, included. Uh, I think they say about 160 different templates already. You can add your own, um, obviously, because you kind of want it to match your specific POH. Um, So you load up a template, modify um, the moment in the arms that you have for your particular aircraft. you know, you can see the normal utility and uh, uh, aerobatic categories. Um, uh, there was, oh, you can actually create the load sheet, uh, sheet summary. So you can actually sign your load sheet, sheet summary and print it out or email it, which is nice. I know some uh, FBOs or schools require students to do all that before you take off. And that's uh, a neat thing to be able to just email the FBO with your weight and balance, which before you take off from the airport.
1: That is handy. And it
4: is 9.99 I believe. Um it is a little bit more, but this is of all the other calculators that I've looked at, I really like this one. This is the one I've been using recently.
1: I'm looking at Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It is uh it is quite handy. Quite handy. And I especially like the feature of determining whether or not you're in the aerobatic uh category cuz I think that would come in really handy at work. <laughs> 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 Kidding. <laughs>
3: There's the air show.
1: There's the air show. That's right. Did I say that last time? We yeah, kick you did. Off The autopilot. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Right. yeah. yeah. The air show. <laughs> What'd you say? The short approach at seven thousand feet or something? Yeah, that's yeah. right.
4: Those are I mean, always fun. At, for, actually, for aircraft like that, I'm not sure it's a as good of a, a fit because there's only like six, six or seven baggage stations. It's only for I mean, in total, it's like fifteen individual seat stations or baggage stations or something like that. So it's not really meant for doing weight and balance in a seven thirty seven. Um, or anything like that so <clears throat> there's some issues I think with uh, with helicopters with uh, lateral uh, the, the lateral calculations um, so there are some limitations it's mm-hmm. pretty much strictly for lighter aircraft, smaller aircraft um uh, not necessarily just ga but you know we're not looking at big the big heavies right now for this one
1: yeah well, it's good that's interesting uh that it is one of the better ones I've seen for sure looks good. It certainly looks good. Well, great. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate uh, Rick, you know, you coming up with this show discussion on winter flying. I kind of feel like uh, maybe we should have talked about it a little earlier and not necessarily mid-February. But, right. you know, we still got to it. It's still a refresher. It's always going to be out there for folks right. to find us next year. Right. It will always be
0: helpful. The After Landing Checklist.
1: Mike, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they, uh, you know... I, Sean didn't have any stalkers, but maybe you will. So Yeah, I think how, I already have they, some. Okay, great.
4: <laughs> Do they bring you cookies? Uh, actually, they usually just send me restraining orders, but that's, <laughs> another, that's another show. <laughs> um, on most of the media sites, Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Mike Ladd. Um, Twitter is at MLAD, M-L-A-D-D. Uh, my email address is MLAD at com. so it's uh, – Pretty much if you know my first name and my last name, you can pretty much get a hold of me anywhere.
2: All right. How about Sean? Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at A-V-A Sean. It's uh, A-V-I-A-S-E-A-N. Rick?
3: R-Felty on Twitter, R-D-Felty on YouTube, and RotationSpeed.com.
2: To get a hold of me
1: individually, I'm on Twitter, at Len Costa, to reach us collectively. It is at StuckMikeAvCast, also on uh, Facebook. You can email us at StuckMikeAvCast.com. You can also send us a delightful voicemail through the, uh, we're really pushing this voicemail uh, tab on the website, but if you go to the website on the right-hand side, there's a little tab that says send voicemail. You click on that, the microphone pops up on your computer, you, you shout and scream into the air, and then it sends us a message. And there's something new I actually forgot to mention on the uh, website redesign. You can now subscribe to the blog via email, and you'll get email notifications when new episodes are pushed or, you know, other content on the website that is not necessarily an actual audio show. So check that cool. out. It's on the right hand side of oh, nice. any blog post. Uh, you can subscribe and you'll get it delivered right to your email. So cool. from myself, Len Costa, Rick Felty, Sean Moody and our wannabe Italian, Michael Ladd. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 42. We wish you all guys clear skies and
0: calm winds. Take care. Everybody. Costa Production.